and we're in a series called Making Space, uh, as we've discovered, or I've definitely learned uh, a lot of times when we're talking about being the church everywhere, which is the series we just came out of, uh, we can often respond with, man, I'm really busy, I don't have the time, I don't have the space to really engage in being the church in everyday life. And so we realize we need to look at what Proverbs has to say uh, about how we order our lives because Proverbs is full of wisdom, uh, learning how to do the right thing in the right way at the right time. And, and we all need wisdom to know how to address the key issues of life that we're going through. And so we're going to talk about money today, but before I get into that, I want to remind us all of what last week we discussed, and uh, that was that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we might ask ourselves now, well, what does the fear of the Lord look like? And I'm going to be coming back to these four key expressions of what it looks like to live in the fear of the Lord on a regular basis, and you'll see it woven through a lot of the teaching. So I want to just do a little review before I jump in to money today. The first is that the fear of the Lord looks like teachability. We're teachable. We're, be, we're willing to be instructed by God's word and it be in submission to it. Second, it's repentant, meaning when we see our, an area of our life that's not in line with what God has for us, we're willing to turn from evil and turn to him in repentance for both forgiveness as well as help. And then third, it's surrendered. It's in a willingness to say, God, all that I have is yours, so I surrender it to you. What do you want me to do with it? And then last, it's submitted, meaning we're going to let other people, wise counselors, people who love and fear the Lord, also bring counsel to our lives and help us make good decisions about the things that matter most in life. So keep in mind those four things. Even as I go through today, like, are we willing to be taught by God's word in the area of money? Are we willing to turn in ways that are wrong towards God, asking for forgiveness and help? Are we willing to say, God, it's all yours Show me what you want me to do with it. And then are we willing to say, P please help me. I can't do this alone. I need some wise, godly people around me. So I want you to keep asking those questions as we go through this. And just as a, uh, to make sure you understand, I'm not speaking about money today because we, we need money. I'm not speaking because this is like my way of saying, hey, give to Doxa. Please know that that's not the case. It's in Proverbs all over the place. You can't get away from it. It's in the Bible all over the place. God really cares about it. He knows it's a really important topic for our lives. In fact, just to be clear, God doesn't need me to talk about giving because he needs to raise money. He uses giving to raise his kids. So like he wants to raise us up through the idea of money and how, what we, how we handle it. And so I want to talk about it because the Bible talks about it a lot. We know that it has a whole lot to do with what we love most, what we trust in most, what we depend on most. Uh, it really does reveal the heart uh, because Jesus said where the treasure is there, the heart will be also. And so it, it's important. And also, in a series on making space, we know, if we're honest, money takes up a lot of space in our life. A mental, emotional, uh, even oftentimes relational space because it crowds out, if we're not careful, the time we could put into relationships. Um, I, I know if I'm honest with you about my own struggles in this area, that there are, are nights when I lay in bed and I think about the bills I have to pay. There are other times when I think about, am I, am I using it right? Um, how could I get more? <laughs> you got, if you're not one of those people, then I'm alone in the room. But I've had those times, like, and it can take up a lot of space. It can, it can often lead to worry. What, what if we lose it all? Um, or what am I going to do with all of it? Some of you, that's the question you're asking. You're like, I have, I have so much, 
I don't know what to do with it all. And some of you are going like, I want to meet those people. I've got some ideas. But it's important that we realize that we, want it, we need to get God's word on this. We need to get his perspective on this. We need wisdom for this because it's important. In fact, if we're not careful, not addressing this issue in our life and not submitting to God's word in our lives and what he says about money, we might actually experience not a life-giving, abundant kind of resource in money, but rather a life-choking, a life-robbing, a, a life-destroying thing when it comes to money. You may, may have heard someone uh, uh, say at, at some point that the love of, or that, that money is the root of all evil, and that's just not true, but we're going to talk about the fact that if you don't address it rightly, it can be. If you love it more than God, it will be. And Jesus actually talks about this when he's giving the, the, the parable of the seeds and the sower, and the seeds represent the word of God that's being scattered throughout the world and into our lives. He tells of several different places on which the seed lands. And one of the particular places that the seed lands, according to Jesus in Luke 8, 14, is among the thorns. And he says this, As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. It's a bit of a warning to us that if we're not careful, what could be good things, which we'll talk about in a bit, riches and pleasure, good things, if we're not careful and they become God things, then they become thorns that choke us and rob us of life. We don't want that. We don't want money to become our God. We don't want to look to it to find our significance. We want to look at it to see if we're, if, if we're, if we're accepted, if we're loved. We don't want to look to it for what it can give us that only God was meant to give us. Love, acceptance, security, significance. He's the one who gives that, and when he does, it never goes away. And so we want to make sure we look at it rightly. And my hope for us as a church, and if you're a visitor uh, with us for you, is that you'll learn how to see money the way God does, and it'll be life-giving, not life-choking. That's my hope. And a prevailing theme to be able to really embrace this is that we've got to embrace the fact that the, the majority of the Proverbs are going to call us to honor the Lord with our money. Like, look with me at, at Proverbs 3, verse 9. Proverbs 3, verse 9. This will kind of be the theme of where we're going today. By the way, the challenge of Proverbs is that there's so much on money that to distill what I'm supposed to say was really hard. Uh, I'll just be honest. It's a lot, and that's why I encourage you to keep reading the Proverbs. But here in verse 9, chapter 3, we hear wisdom this way. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the firstfruits of all your produce. To honor the Lord the word honor means to, to give appropriate weight to. to. To see something as it is and then to respond to that thing in light of what it really is like. And, and you, you think about the fact that we're talking about honoring the Lord, the, the creator of the universe, the giver of all good gifts, the reason why you live, the reason why you are breathing right now, the reason why you have anything you've got is because of God. And so to feel that weight is good, okay? To, to be sober-minded and realize 
I have all I have from him. And like the psalmist says, the earth and all of its fullness thereof is God's. It all belongs to him, including you. And you might go, no, I'm my own man. You might think that, but you are not. God made you. God sustains you. God made you the way he made you. He gave you what he's given you. You go, no, no, I earned it all. That will be the beginning of the end for you if you think it's all about you and you did it all yourself. You have what you have because of God's kindness and grace. You are alive because he sustains your life. And so to honor him means to give him that proper way to say, yes, he is God. Yes, he is worthy of worship. Yes, I was made in his image. And to honor him means whatever I do, I'm meant to do it in such a way that I understand who he is in my life and I want the world to understand what he's like by what I do. I want to display the truth about God. I want his fame to be spread, and I want it to be a truth-telling, fame-spreading life. So when they get to know what our God is like, they get to know the truth about what God is like. In other words, when we think about our money, we ought to think about it, first of all, not as ours. So if I could just say that first, you don't own a thing. You go, yes, I do. No, you don't. The Bible says that all that we have is still his we are stewards of God. Uh, and those of you who are familiar with investments, you and I are investment brokers for God. He said, here's my resources that I entrust to you. I want you to spend them the way I would. So we're, we're actually telling the truth about what God's like by how we invest what he's given us to steward on his behalf. So not only are we investment brokers, but we are ambassadors. It's like we're carrying his his fame with us. We're saying, this is what he's like, and I want to proclaim what God's like, and I want all that I do with my money and resources and wealth and possessions to be a display of the truth of what God's like. I'm an ambassador for God so that through what he's given me, you will know what he's like. We're investment brokers. We're ambassadors, and our job is to rightly honor him with it. Now, the opposite of the word honor in the Hebrew language is another word that basically means to make light of. It's to regard as, trif as trifling or frivolous. It's this idea that you go, it's not a big deal. God's not that big of a deal. Now, there, there's, a, there's this thing I want you to walk away from today. I want you to walk out of here going, he is weighty. God is awesome. God is mighty. God is glorious. There is no one like God. I want you to feel that. I want you to go... In everything I do with all that I own, do I think about everything I spend or everything I give or everything I save and go, this is God's. And I want to do it as he would do it. And I want every single penny to be a picture of what God's like and how I use it. And I want you to feel that weight. I don't want to overwhelm you. I don't want you to, to like walk out of here with a heavy burden because we get wisdom for what we do with that and like I said last week, wisdom is in the person of Jesus. And Jesus said, come to me, all who are heavy, burdened, and, and I will give you rest. I'll carry that burden. I want to I help you with that. I want to lift it for you. And so we need to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, help me. There's a weightiness to your glory. There's a weightiness to honoring you with all that I have that I cannot do without your help. So hopefully you'll feel that. I want that. But this is the flip side. The flip side is to go, he doesn't really care about any of it. God's small. I'm big. He cares about a little part of my life, not all of my life. And I'm just going to warn you, please, please, please do not take God lightly. Please do not make him small. 
You can't change who he is, even if in your mind you think he's little. He is big, and he is going to hold us accountable for how we steward what he has given us. I want you to be sobered by that in a right way. Now, I was, uh, I was talking to one of the couples here that's been here before I got here, and I asked him, you know, what, you know, you were part of the church before I got here, and now you're part of the church with me here. And how's it been feeling? How you doing? And you know, and you know, th- that's that moment where you're like, okay, I'm ready for it. Like, give me what you think. By the way, I want to know. Like, you can shoot straight with me. You know, everyone goes like, how's it going, Jeff? I'm like, well, the people that love it, tell me. The rest of you are talking to each other, probably. I don't know, but I'm just kidding. Just come talk to me. It's fine. So they said, you know, it, it, it's a little overwhelming. And I said, well, what do you mean? They said, well. You know, before I was like, you know, it's very clear. You go to church on Sunday, there's that block of time, and then you have your, your community group, and there's that block of time, and that was kind of church, and the rest of life was like our thing. And uh, now you're saying church is everywhere all the time. That's kind of overwhelming. And I said, well, just so you know, I didn't make that up. Like, it was always true. Yeah, maybe you didn't know that, or maybe you didn't listen when it was told you that, but all of life is the Lord's, and everything we do is meant to glorify Him, whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, do all to the glory of God. And if you belong to God, you are His people, which is the church, and everywhere you go, you do it for His glory and fame so the world can know what He's like and be drawn to Him as well. We're always doing it. We're here to be to come together to be reminded of that on a weekly basis, to be equipped for that on a weekly basis, so we can go out and be that all week long. But that should lead you not to see God as small. That should lead you to see God as big because he cares about everything. You may go, that's a lot, but let me just encourage you, even when you're sleeping, he is working. And that means while you're sleeping, you're the church, and he's glorifying himself through your rest in him, running the universe without you. That's really good news. That's the kind of life we get to live and step into. The work that God's doing, even you don't even know it. He's already ahead of you in this area. And what I'm about to teach today, he's already prepared your hearts for to hear. And he's already prepared a situation for you to step into. And he's already getting you ready to join him in his work. So that's the beautiful thing. And I want you to, to, to take that as a weighty thing, but a right kind of weight. A, a kind of a joyous weight. A, like, I get to step in with the God of the universe doing great work through what he's given me. So how do we do that? Yeah, there you, there's my clapper. Thank you. I, I, we were talking earlier. She's like, we got to start. Like, everyone shouts for the, the Seahawks, but no one shouts for Jesus. So can I hear a shout for Jesus? Yeah. There we go. All right. So let, let's consider what God has to say in his word. Here, here's the thing I do want you to hear. Um, God is very, very concerned about your financial priorities and that he's honored in them. And he wants to help you. And today I hope it's a help. And here's the thing I want you to hear on the other side. If you, if you don't see it as a big deal, hear this word from Ray Orland. This is really good for me this last week. Uh, at the book that I've recommended, Wisdom That Works, that he wrote, he said, everything that is wrong with the world today is traceable to the mega sin of trivializing God. I'll say that again. Everything that is wrong with the world today is traceable to the mega sin of trivializing God, making God small. And there's a lot that you could, I could just teach on that all day. Like, when God's small, people are big, so we live in the fear of man. When God's small, our problems are big, so we 
feel like they can't, they're going to overcome us. When God's small, we, we, we are laying in, in bed at night wondering who's going to provide for us for tomorrow. Like it's, it leads to lots of fear and anxiety and insecurity. But the other side of it goes, when God's small, I'm big, and therefore what I want is what always drives me, and I'm the center of the universe, and I will be the man who everyone should worship, and you would never say that, but we live like that. And so I love that he said that it was so helpful for me. Like everything that's wrong with the world today is traceable to the mega sin of trivializing God. This is foolishness, the, pro- the writer of Proverbs tells us, because it is not the fear of the Lord. God's big. God's weighty. God is good. And as you think about how do we demonstrate or honor him or tell the truth about him in, with our, in and with our money, I, I want this to be the big thing that kind of captures us today. If we're going to tell the truth about what God is like, God is giver, not getter. God is giver, not getter. Giver is one who says, I've got all I need to give for others. Getter is, I never have enough. I'm always in need. I need others to keep giving to me. And God, just so it's clear, doesn't need us. God is not poor. God is not lacking. God is not weak. God is mighty and rich, and he has everything he needs for his own existence. Now, the good news about that is he loves giving it away. He's a giver. And he's been that way since the beginning. He gave us a world. We blew it up. He gave us a son to forgive us for that. And then he gave us his spirit to enable us to live a new life, to bring restoration to a broken world. And one day he said he's going to come back and give us a whole new heaven and earth to enjoy him in forever. He's a giver. And he gives to people who don't deserve it. He's a gracious giver. So I want us to just ask, then how could I with my finances tell the truth and build the fame of the greatest giver of all? How can we show what God's like as giver? And here's the question I want you to ask yourself throughout the morning. What am I saying I believe about God in what I do with my money? What am I saying I believe about God by what I do with my money? Second, as you ask that question, say, do I believe he's a giver or a getter? And that will lead to you. Are you primarily a giver or a getter? What do I say I believe about God by what I do with my money? Do I believe he's a giver or a getter? What I do will show whether I'm a giver or a getter. Now, to be clear, I said it already, but let me say it again. Money is not bad. The love of money is. When we love the, the gift instead of the giver... When we are glad God blesses us, but we don't love the blesser, then we've exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship the created instead of the creator, and we are in trouble when we begin to worship what he gives us instead of worshiping the one who gave it. And so the, the, the thing I don't want you to hear is that money's bad. In fact, the, the Proverbs actually say it's all good. Money's good, possession's good, blessings are good. It's good, 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 good. Proverbs 10, the blessing of the Lord makes rich. And listen to this next phrase, and he adds no sorrow with it. God loves to give you good gifts. How many of you guys have children here? Okay. How many of you guys have friends? Okay, the rest of you come talk to me afterwards and I'll be your friend. Okay. How many of you, when you give a gift to your kids or you give a gift to your friends, are sitting back going, man, I hope they hate it? You know, 
I mean, if, if they like that gift, if they enjoy it, if they play with it, if they, if they express any joy in the gift, I'm going to feel slighted because I'm the one who gave it. No, you don't do that, right? You go, no, I'm like, can't wait. You know, I love it when my kids are, you know, they're going to open something and you're like, I can't wait, I can't wait. Last Christmas we gave Caleb an Xbox. Well, we gave the family, but everyone knows, like, he was the one just wanting it really bad. And, um, and I mean, I mean I, it was like this. Woohoo! Yeah! Yeah! I mean, you'd think the Seahawks won the Super Bowl and they got that gift. And then Janie and I are just sitting back going, yes. This is so much fun. Now let me ask, if we like to do that, what do you think God feels when he gives us good gifts and we go, yeah! Yes! A sunset! A sunny summer in the Pacific Northwest! Yes! You know? Yes, a football team that actually is good. Sorry, Zach. Um, yes! You know? Yes, a home that I love to live in and a, a car I do enjoy driving and golf. I love to golf. And I, I, I get out on the golf course and I go, thank you, God, for this little ball. Please show me how much you love me by how it goes this time. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, do we enjoy these gifts? God wants you to enjoy good gifts, and there's no sorrow in it. In other words, he doesn't want us to open the gift of, of a new day or a, a, a friend or a spouse or a child or a house or a car or a job or a vacation or whatever. He doesn't want us to open and go, I know I shouldn't be that excited about it because I don't want to in any way diss on you, God. I love you, and I want you to be the most important thing in my life, so I, I'll just kind of act like this is not a big deal. And um, so, like, I, it, but inside you're going, I really kind of like it. You know, I, I, I like what I have. I like the good things. I like good gifts, so I don't want to in any way dishonor you by liking it too much. No, the giver of good gifts wants you to love it. Please hear this. Money is a gift. Riches are a gift. Possessions are a gift. These are good things from God. We've got we to just say he's a great giver, and whether we have much or little, what we have is a gift of God's love to you, an expression of saying, I want you to know I love you. Enjoy this day. Enjoy this meal. Enjoy this drink. All for my glory, because I'm a giver. And when you enjoy it, you tell the world, I'm a good giver, and I give good gifts. So I want, I want to start there. God gives for our enjoyment. Gives for our enjoyment. And what's really crazy is not only does he give for our enjoyment, but when he does, he gives so we can actually get more. It's interesting, like in the garden, God, when he gives Adam and Eve the garden, he puts gold in the ground, it tells us in chapter 2, verses 11 through 12. There's literally gold in the ground where he puts them. It's like, hey, just so you know, you're kind of like the Beverly Hillbillies. You know, like, you don't have a whole lot, but when you start digging, there's something in that ground, and you're going to start singing that, like, Beverly Hillbillies song, right? When, like, you know what that song I'm talking about, like? You want to join me in it or not? <laughs> you don't want to. You want to do it. Okay. I won't sing it. Anyway, some of you are already singing in your head. You're like, dun, 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 Okay, I'll stop. So there's gold in the ground. Here's the thing I want you to hear. God has put gold in the blessings that he's given you. There's potential for it to be more than what it is. There's this potential to say, I want to enjoy it and I want to multiply it. I want it to increase in its joy. I want others to experience great joy through what I've been given. I, want it, I don't want it to just stop here. I want it to go beyond that. He loves giving you good gifts. But here, keep this in mind. This is very important. 
Enjoy riches, enjoy money, enjoy possessions, enjoy it. But don't love it at the cost of loving God. He wants you to enjoy it and have no sorrow in it. But if you become a getter instead of a giver, in other words, I gotta have more, I gotta have more, I gotta have more, I gotta have more, it's never enough. Which means you're probably not taking joy in it because you're not satisfied in it. If you're not satisfied in it, you'll want more. You'll be a getter, not a giver. And here's what 1 Timothy 6, 10 says to that person who has the love of money. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and have pierced themselves. It's powerful language. Pierced themselves with many pangs, or the word could be with many sorrows. Money's not the root of all evils, but our love for it is. And it can bring about many sorrow. You see, sorrow doesn't come from money or even the ability to make money or even taking great joy in money or in what money can provide. Uh, Sorrow comes when we look at money and we say, you are my happiness, not God. That's when we're in trouble. And sorrows will come. It pierces with many sorrows. We sacrifice relationships for it. We work unending hours thinking that if we could just have one more dollar, one more sale, one more thing, it'll get better. And yet you have people going, I just want you. Be with us. I miss you. We wait, we, we wait, we are awake at night anxiously worrying about it. And you're, you're piercing yourself with many sorrows because of the love of money. Some of us physically destroy our bodies in excess labor. Next week we're going to talk about work. And you know what? There are many of us who are just empty. Deeply empty at a soul level. Because all the money in the world can never buy enough to satisfy the deep cravings of your soul. Only God can meet those deep longings. Proverbs eleven twenty eight says, Whoever trusts in riches will fall but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Let me, let me just be clear. You can be full, you can be rich and full of faith in God, but you can also be rich and full of faith in your riches. And the, the one whose faith is in their riches will fall like a leaf in the autumn. But the one whose faith is full in God and riches accompany that, They'll flourish like a green leaf, whether you have riches or not, to be clear. In fact, I, I want to say this. You can be poor or rich and be totally impoverished at heart. You can be poor or rich and be totally impoverished at heart. Because at the, at the heart level, what makes you most rich is not the stuff you have, but the one you know. In fact, that's why Proverbs 3, 13 through 16 says this, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honor. And we know that ultimately wisdom is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ because he is the wisdom of God. And so what, the, what the, 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 the wisdom is telling us right here is don't chase after money. Chase after wisdom, and in particular, chase after Jesus. Chase after the giver of every good gift and love him so that with him you get everything else as well. 
Ray Ortland says this, don't aim at money. If you need money, aim at wisdom, and you'll make money that's right for you. It's a good word. Stop aiming at, at money. Aim at wisdom. And then let me take it further. If wisdom is in Jesus, aim at Jesus. Bruce Walkie says it this way. He wrote a commentary on the book of Proverbs. He said, money can put food on the table, but wisdom puts laughter around that table. Money can buy a house, but wisdom makes it a home. Money can buy a woman jewelry, but wisdom wins her heart. Wisdom enables us to truly enjoy good gifts and not exchange our love for the giver with the love of the gift. To not turn from the giver and love the gift more than the giver. In fact, I, I said this to someone the other day. I said, you know what? Eternal life is incredible. But I don't, I don't love eternal life. I love the giver of eternal life. Because if the giver of eternal life is not with us forever, we don't have life. Love the giver. Enjoy the gift. And you know what? Go ahead and spend it. In fact, the way I think about uh, money and possessions is like, I feel like there's three categories we're going to see in the Proverbs, and that is one, spend it and enjoy it. Another is, give it. And a third one is, save it so that you can give it. Okay? I want to go after those. First of all, God gives so we can give. As you think about what you do, as you think about, man, I want to spend on this, don't jump past what we read in the very first passage in Proverbs 3, 9, where it says that we're supposed to honor him with the first fruits of our produce. There's a concept in the Bible that's called first fruits giving. So before you start going like, man, what could I spend it on? And how can I use it for my own good? With some of you, maybe that's already happened, and you may need to repent today of the way that you've ordered your financial life because the scriptures teach us you don't start with you, you start with God. Your first fruits idea was the harvest that would come in, that the farmers would bring in, God instructed them to give that very first harvest back to him. And the way that they did is they gave it to those who served God regularly at the temple, reminding people of who God is, made God's fame known, helped people get reconnected to God through the offering of a sacrifice for their sin. That was going on for the Jewish people. And this first fruit giving was, bring the very first of your harvest to me in that form, And the reason why he did this is because he said, I want you to trust that I'm going to keep giving you good gifts. So as you learn to be generous, I'll teach you that I will provide for your generosity. I'll keep giving you more means to give more away. Now, some of you are listening in the room going, okay, I've always been about get-rich-quick schemes. By the way, Proverbs tells us that you actually get rich little by little, but not all at once. So just throw that idea out the window, okay? No get-rich schemes in Proverbs, all right? There's this process of growing in being rich at heart and being rich in other ways. And so I want to just throw that out the window. Some of you went like, okay, so I get it. If I just give, I'll get more. No, you're a getter, not a giver then. A giver says, man, I want to give more. God, will you help me give more? I love, I love the Second Corinthians uh, the letter of the Second Corinthians that Paul wrote to the, the Corinthian church, they had promised to give this money to the church in Jerusalem it was in deeply in need, and Paul writes this letter to remind him, you remember you said you were going to give, but you're not giving. I'm, I'm following up to make sure you follow through with what you said you believe God told you to do. And before he, uh, he kind of brings them to Jesus, he says, I want to remind you there's this other church called the Macedonian church, and in their extreme poverty, they begged us for the grace, the opportunity to give. In their extreme poverty, they begged us 
to give. I love that. It's like, wouldn't it be great if instead of the, the church feeling like leaders have got to remind us to give, the, the church would go like, can you please give us more opportunities to give? We're poor. Can we give more? That's crazy. And it went on to say that, that God then gave them the ability to give beyond their means. That's called grace. To be able to do something you can't do with the empowerment of God. And I love that picture because what Paul is saying is learn something from this church that when you, when you want to be generous and you want to give, God will give you the ability to do it. And then when you become a giver and not a getter, he'll keep giving to you so that you can give, not so you can just get. Are you a giver or a getter? Let me just even give a little bit of warning. Some of us give because we think God will be more happy with us if we do. He couldn't be more happy with you already. Jesus did enough to make you totally acceptable and loved by God the Father if you'll receive it. Rest in that. And then give out of that, not give to get that. It's already been given to you in Jesus. So he gives so that we can give. And we do it as a first fruit thing. So the giver stops and says, before I plan out any of the rest of my life, I think about housing expense and utilities and car payments and insurance and entertainment and groceries and vacation and kids' savings accounts and education for their future and on and on and on and on. Before you do that, because what happens when you do that? You guys know, you've been there, right? You get through the list and you go, I got nothing left to give. And you go, well, someday, someday I'll have enough. No, you won't. Rick Warren told me once, he said, tell me you know who he is. He said, my wife Kay and I decided that we wanted to grow from being 10% givers to eventually being 90% givers, that we would learn how to live on 10% of our income and give away 90% of our income. And he said, you know, most people go like, well, you gotta wait till you're rich to do that. He goes, no, we started doing it when we weren't. We just started setting, increasing the percentage every year. And he said, and then we wrote this book and it seemed like it did okay. And he said, Jeff, I, and he said this to me, he said, Jeff, I could buy a, an island right now and have people serving me all day long sitting on a, a nice chair with nice drinks with little umbrellas in them. But I, did, I told God I wanted him to be first. And if he gave me more, I would give it away. And he, what he did is he paid back his entire salary they'd ever received at Saddleback Church and he, he changed his lifestyle to live on, uh, live on 10% and, and give away the 90%. And you guys are doing the numbers going, that was still a lot of money. But you know what? Enjoy it. He's giving it away. And here's what he told me. He said, Jeff, a lot of people say, I'll give when I get instead of I'll give so that I can get and give more. And he said, God knew that I could be trusted with what he was giving me because I was already faithful with what he gave. I want to encourage you to believe that God wants you to become like him as a giver by starting and giving where you're at with the first fruits. A, a getter says, I'll wait till I've figured out everything for me and then I'll figure out what I got less, left. A giver will say, I start with God and then I build my budget around what he told me to give. And you might go, well, how much, how much do I give? How do I know? And I'm just going to tell you, I've got no answer for you there in terms of like how much. But I can tell you some ways to work about, at it. Um, there is really no re like strict rule. Maybe some of you grew up in a church that said you've got to give 10%. That actually comes from the Old Testament where God's people were giving regularly to the work of the temple where they make the fame of God known. They would uh, lead in worship regularly. They would instruct the people in, in who God is and they would help people get rightly connected back to God. And we're doing that same kind of work. But, uh, and and he, he told them to give 10% of their income to that. 
But what happened is Jesus showed up, and he actually affirmed it. So he didn't discourage it. He affirmed it. But after Jesus dies and rises from the dead and the church gets started, what happens is you never hear that again. You never hear them being commanded to give a tithe. But what you actually watch is that they give way more than a tithe. Like You see people like sell their entire piece of property and give it up for the, the advancement of Jesus' fame. So I would hate to like in any way rob you of the joy of giving more than a tithe by giving you a legalistic requirement of 10%. I, I just think it could be a whole lot more than that. Now, you might go, well, I'm not even there. Okay, well, you prayerfully consider what God's telling you to give and be faithful to what he says, but start there before you build everything else out. Begin with him and say, what do you want me to do with your money? It's your money, it's not mine. How do you want me to spend it? And then I'll determine what else I should have in life. And you know what? It's not bad to downsize your life so that you can upsize the fame of God. You might go, I don't know. I'm telling you, there's great joy in giving. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive. You may go, well, well how do I know how much? Uh, well, let's, let's just let, let's go further in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul says to the Corinthian church, you know, he says, here's the standard, here's the reminder of what giving like God looks like. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. What is he saying? He's saying he was the richest being in the universe and he had no debt to his name. And what did he do? He became the poorest being in the universe, making himself nothing, taking on in the form of a servant, being obedient to, to not only serve us, but to die for our sins. So he is rich, he becomes poor. We then are given by faith in Jesus the riches of his righteousness, and we become co-heirs with Christ, and we're seated with him in the heavenly realms, and we are rich because of Jesus' poverty. And then at the cross, all of the debt of our sin, which is an eternal debt. Just to be clear, think of a credit card debt that can never be paid. That's us. And he takes and pays it with all of his riches. And we are forgiven of eternal debt at the cross. And Jesus says, not only will I become poor so you can become rich, but I will give you my riches so, and I will take on your debt. And then I'll pay it in full. And then he rises from the dead. And he is the first fruit because then God says, guess what? You get it all back and everybody else as well. Amazing. That should inform how we give. We're telling the truth about Jesus in our giving. You guys, Jeff, I'm still struggling. That seems like too far to go. So let me just give you C.S. Lewis's words on this. He says, I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, if our expenditure on comforts, luxuries, amusements, etc. is up to the standard common among those with the same income as our own, we are probably giving away too little. If our charities or our giving habits do not at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small. There ought to be things we should like to do and cannot do them because our charities or giving expenditure excludes them. You know what? Jesus gave up everything for us. Let's start telling the truth about what he's like by giving up so others can be blessed through us. In fact, I would say this. If you're saying, how do I make more space in my life? You need to start by making more space in your heart. Giving is one of the greatest ways to do this because when you give, your heart grows in love, in joy, in grace. 
Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, here's the deal for me. I don't want my treasure to be in something that's shrinking. I want it to be something that's growing. And the kingdom of this world is shrinking. And the things of this world will go away. But the kingdom of God is growing. And the love of God is eternal. So I want to put my heart, where, I want to put my treasure where my heart is. And my heart is in the kingdom of God. And if you want to grow your heart bigger, put it in a thing that's growing. Not the thing that's shrinking. And the thing that's growing is the kingdom of God. That's just good investment strategy, right? You don't put it in funds that are going to go away. You put it in ones that are going to get bigger. The kingdom of God is not going away, and it will be bigger. And I, I found the more that I invest in the kingdom of God, the more my heart gets bigger, the more space I have for love, the more space I have for people, the more space I have to be Jesus' fame builder in the world. And if you're going, I just don't have time, I just don't, I'm busy, I don't, I, I don't know how to make space for all these things that I know would be great, I just don't do it. Ask yourself, where's your heart? Because if your heart is in the kingdom, he'll expand your abilities, he'll expand your affections, he'll expand your love, he'll expand the space to be his fame builder in the way you love people. And the crazy thing is, he'll probably give you more to do more with. Proverbs eleven twenty one says, one gives, sorry, Proverbs eleven twenty four. one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and suffers want. Are you a giver or a getter? Remember when I was teaching our kids this, we started a little later than I would like, but we still, we made some adjustments in our life and said, we're going to start just teaching them how to, how to uh, give, save, and spend. And they actually have this little plastic set of drawers. There's three drawers, and each one's labeled, and there are names on the top. And when they get money from allowance or birthdays or other things, they, they break it up into give, save, and spend. And they had never done this before, so, you know, our, my youngest had spent everything. So I'm like, we're going to encourage you to start with 10% in give, 10% in save. Just as a tutor, the tithe can be a good tutor to train us how to be givers. So let's start with 10% in, in give, 10% in save, and then the rest you can ask. You know, we want you to learn how to ask God, what would you want me to do with this? And um, it was interesting because, you know, Haley, she's like, you know, she's calculating this. She's like, I've been saving up for an iPod. I got this money. I, I, I've got it. I'm ready to buy it. And her mom and I, um, Janie and I, were thinking about wanting to get her a phone anyway because she was going into middle school and wanted to have some access to her in case something were happening at school or whatever. And uh, so we already had that in our back of mind. I don't know that she knew that. Um, and she's like, she's sitting there thinking, okay, if she, I, I'm sure she was calculating. If I give 10%, that's going to mark it down a bit from what I have, which is going to push me back from getting closer to getting that iPod. So she's grieving a bit. She's like, I, they don't have any money. It means nothing to them, but I have this money. <laughs> and she was being really honest about her struggle, which I loved. And, and, and I, so I told her the story of the, the parable of the talents that Jesus says. that you know, He says there's this steward, and he gives one, uh, one of his uh, steward, or this uh, man who has stewards, he gives one of them five talents and another a few and then another one. And he comes back after being away for a while and says, what did you do with what I gave you? And the, the one says, I multiplied it. And he says, here, you get more. And the other one says, I did the same. And you get more. And then the last one says, I buried it because I knew you were stingy, and so I didn't want anything to be happened to that thing and he said if you known I was stingy you would have tried to make more money with it but since you didn't I'll take that away too you got nothing and I said so what part of what Jesus is saying is saying you know if you know what your God, your father in heaven is like if you know what kind of steward he would want you to be to tell the truth of what he's like what would you do with what he's given you that's the point of the story and so I said if you know that God's really generous and he loves you to be a giving person who gives out of the overflow of the abundance he gives you what would you do with this and I could see her just going like ah, you know because in her mind I think she knows the answer, but she's struggling with in her heart what that means to let go of this 
potential of buying this iPod, and I loved the struggle she was in. And she was in tears. I was like, I don't want to do it. I want to do it. I want to do it. And I was like, sweetie, just trust God is a good giver, a good dad. And you know, in my mind, I'm like, she's gonna get it. Just let go. Just let go of it. You know, and I'm just wanting her so badly to release the grip on on possessing something. Be a giver, not a getter. And uh, so I see her. She finally does it. She puts it in. And I said, and, and literally she does like this, <laughs> you know, just in tears. <laughs> she remembers it too. <laughs> and and uh, it's like it's, it, the dream's done. And I said, sweetheart, what I want to do is I want to I match what you gave and then come up with the rest to make sure you not just get an iPod but an iPhone. You might go, what were you doing there? I was teaching her about what our father's like. I want her to trust that I'm a good dad because we have a, our incredibly good heavenly father. And I want her to know that's what he's like. He loves to help you give. Why wouldn't he want to help you give? It, t- it just makes him look great. And he gets to have his joy spread throughout the earth when we do. So not only do we get from God to give more, but he wants us to give to others in need. Uh, Proverbs three twenty-seven through 28 Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again, tomorrow I'll give it, when you have it with you now. Let me say it this way. I love how Ray Orland puts this. If you have good you can do for somebody, then legally you own it, but morally they own it. Legally you own it. You go, yeah, this is my money. But if you have good that you could do someone else, what this proverb is saying is, do not withhold good from those to whom it's due. Here's what's going on. God's going, you're my messenger carrying the telegram with the check to the need that I know is there. I've made the, know, the need known to you. You now know someone's in need, and you have the check to bring to their need, and you're holding on to it. And, and what the proverb is saying is, if you refuse to give it to him, you are withholding what is rightfully theirs that God wants them to have. You are robbing somebody thinking that the check you're carrying was yours. But God said, no, I gave it to you to give to them. It's not yours, it's theirs. You ever thought about that? That there's people in need right in front of you. Some of you might go like, I've got a lot in savings for a future date. And you know what? Sometimes God says, there's a future date that you were looking to, and I'm telling you the date is today, and it wasn't you, it was somebody else that needed it. You know, I'll, I'll just tell you, if you go, I'm not going there, savings is mine, then you're a getter in that part of your life, not a giver. Don't save for a future day that you don't know will happen and then hold it to yourself until you die when in reality God might bring that future day right in front of your face with one of your brothers or sisters or a neighbor or a friend in need. You might go, yeah, but you don't understand. I worked hard to set that aside. I'm not just going to give that away. And you might go, they don't deserve it. Look at what they did. They got themselves in this trouble. Yes, and what if God had said that to you? What if God had said that to you? He didn't. So I've got my son set apart for you, the riches of all eternity here, that I did nothing wrong, and that's why I am this. And I'm going to come to you who screwed everything up and spent and squandered all I gave you, and I'm paying your debt with my savings. Huge. Let's tell the truth about God. It's what we do. A friend of mine who is very frugal, extremely wise, I believe, from what I've seen in, his, in how he saves and sets apart money and plans, 
his, his wife in giving birth, um, she's, pretty, she's a smaller woman, and so there was a lot of like tearing and stuff that happened in her midsection when she was getting pregnant, and, and now as a result, uh, can't even work out in certain ways that some of us could because those muscles don't connect like they should, and in order to get the surgery necessary to get that to be rebuilt in the way it should be, uh, they consider it something like a, a kind of like a a tummy tuck surgery, so insurance won't cover it because it, it falls in the category of what looks like just cosmetic instead of, really, this is something that needs to be done. And he confided with me, he said, you know, the, Jeff, the, the, the surgery is going, to, is going to cost pretty much what I've got in savings. And that's for a future date. I didn't save for this moment. I saved for a future date. What do you think I should do? And I, honestly, I didn't, I said, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for wisdom. And he got some wise counselors around him, which is what we've been talking about. Wisdom does just do this on, the, on its own. You get help from other people when you have the opportunity to help somebody else. Make sure you get some wise counsel. We don't just foolishly give it away without getting some counsel and some input. And so he got some people who have quite a bit of knowledge in this, and he trusts. And he, he thought they were going to say, oh, you don't, you don't waste your savings on that. Like, it's okay, you know, just make it through life with that problem and it'll be all right. And, and he said, every one of them said, you've got the money to do it and you have a need right in front of you and your wife. You gotta pay for it. And he, he told me, he said, when I realized that, he said, I knew they were right. It's this proverb. To you who have good, know, know that someone who's in need is right in front of you and you withhold it. You're actually keeping from them something God had prepared in advance for you to enable them to pay for and, you know, this is with, just so it's clear, this is his wife. So, like, I'm, I'm using this story because we do it with all kinds of things, right? And he told me, he said, Jeff, you know what I realized? Is that I was putting my hope for my security for my future in savings and not in God. And God granted him the fruit of repentance to say, I joyfully want to do this now. I, I don't know if that's, you, maybe you've got people right in front of you and you go, man, I've got savings and I have real clear opportunities in front of me to help somebody. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't say, I'll, I'll, come, I'll leave and come back and give it to you. Do it now if God's leading you to do it. Get wise counsel, but don't save to be a getter. Save to be a giver. In fact, uh, I was talking to my dad about this because, you know, he's in retirement now and he's got the means to be able to not have to work and and uh, spends the, the summers on the lake and the winters in Florida, like a typical Michigander tends to do. And um, I sat down with him once and I said, Dad, do not coast into your coffin. I talked to he and my, to he and my mom and said, Here, here's the thing, you guys have so much to give, you're so wise, you're, you're so experienced, you have so many people that are around you that could learn so much from you. Don't waste your retirement. You got to save and, and now have space so you can give your lives to more people. Don't make it all about you until you die. Don't be a getter, be a giver. You've got so much to give. And I, I looked him in the eye, I said, and this is hard to do when you know, it's your dad, but I looked in the eye, I said, Dad, I don't know if anybody will ever, ever tell you this because I'm convinced that most pastors are happy if you just give and then go live your life. But I want you to give your life, not just give a paycheck. I mean, not just give a tithe, not just give a gift. I want you to give your life. Don't waste it. So I said, Dad, I'm going to call you in a month, and I'm going to ask you what you're going to do with your retirement to glorify God. You didn't save to get, you saved to, get, to give. Be ready to give, Dad. You have so much to give. He called me later and said, you know what? Your mom and I have been talking. We think we're supposed to come out and join you guys a few times, a few months in the year, just help with that football team, Lincoln High School, maybe mentor some boys and 
I think that'd be cool. Now, my dad really likes John Kitna, who used to play, was a quarterback for the Lions at one point, and so I think there was a little bit of like the, that part of it. But God gives for us to enjoy, and you can enjoy hanging out with John Kitna for a couple months if you want, Dad. Um, I'll never forget that one of the most precious moments I have, I have a picture of this. My dad, they, they came here, started pouring these kids. My dad on his knees with Mushan Knowles, football player who probably played D1 football, play, still plays for the Lincoln Abes, and Mushan is giving his life to Jesus. I'm sitting there going, that was a better spend than a summer cottage. Because that's going to last forever. That kid's life has changed forever. He's going to be with Jesus forever. We are going to enjoy heaven and earth together with Mushan Knowles just because my dad was willing to give two and a half months of his year in a year of retirement for the sake of the kingdom of God. That, that's what we were saved for. That's why you should save. is so you can be prepared to give. Now, Here's the deal. It might be God's having you save so that you can give to yourself someday when you're in need. That's okay. But you know what? He might have something else in store that someone else is in need for you to give to. Jesus told a parable of a rich fool who kept making more and building more barns to store it in. And Jesus said on this night, your life is going to be taken from you. You're the fool. Because you could have enjoyed giving things away and watching how it changed people's lives and now instead all that you had is going to go to someone else and you never got to be a part of bringing anything good to the world except for you. It was all about you. Don't retire, I told my dad. Retread instead. Some of you are in retirement, I know, and I want to encourage you, don't waste it. You got where you were at because God gave you the wisdom to think and plan. That's really good. But he didn't do it just for you. He did it for someone else. Use what you have. Give it away as God leads you. I don't know if you know this, but presently the average credit card debt in the United States is $7,500 per household. The indebted average for a household that's in debt is 15000 I know that some people have not planned to be able to give. And the, the Proverbs tell us in, in chapter 13, verse 7, one who pretends to be rich one pretends to be rich, but yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor and has great wealth. I just want to encourage you, if you're one of those people who's saying, I need to keep spending outside of the means that God has given me, you're a getter and not a giver. And you won't be able to give because you won't have margin and space to give away. We want to help you. That's one of the reasons why we're doing Financial Peace University is some of you are in that situation where you're going, I want to get out of debt. I don't want to be a slave like Proverbs 22 7 says I am. I, I want to be free, and I want to be free to not just be a getter anymore, but to be a giver. I, I, I'm at the end here, and I, I know some of you are wondering if I was ever going to end. I am coming to an end. Um, here's what I want you to hear. There's grace for getters today. There's grace for getters today. Jesus is the only hope for us. Romans 3, 23 through 25 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What that means is every one of us at some point or another has not told the truth about God with our life and has not lived for his fame with what we have. All of us have. And we're justified by his grace as a gift the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. What I want you to hear today, so you may have been listening going, man, I am, I'm a getter in a lot of ways. I, I, I think that I give so I'll get. I, I hold and hoard because I'm afraid to lose. I save but not willing to give. I outspend 
when I should. I mean, I don't know what it is for you, but probably one of those of you went, okay, that's me. So what I want, I want you to hear is, you're not justified by fixing it. You're not justified by changing yourself. You're not justified by making up for it. You're justified freely by His grace. Freely a gift. Today, some of you need to go, I need grace. Forgive me for being a getter. I need grace. And God put Jesus forward as a propitiation by His blood, which means all of God's wrath is satisfied, all of your debt is paid by faith in Jesus Christ. And you can move from being a getter to a giver by just receiving the gift of Jesus. I love this last proverb I want to read for you. Proverbs 1.23, after it talks about the destruction that being a getter brings about in our life and the life of others, says this, If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Here's the thing I want you to hear. If you turn to Jesus today, and some of you are going, like, I've already turned to him, yet you probably need to turn to him again. I need to go like, there's an area in my life, Jesus, that I need to be reminded of your grace. If you turn to him, he offers you his forgiveness through his life on the cross given for you in your place. But that's not it. He cleanses you all of sin so he can pour his spirit into your life and give you wisdom to move from being a getter to a giver. What he wants for you today is he wants you to not only know you're forgiven, but he also will know, wants you to know you can change. You can be a generous person. You can be a picture of what God's like as a giver but you can't do it without him. You need him. My hope today is that you will say, Jesus, come and forgive me. Cleanse me of my sin. Change my heart. Enlarge in it with you. And pour your wisdom into me so I'll move from being one who thinks only about myself to one who thinks about your fame and others' good. And as a result, you'll experience the greatest joy you've ever experienced in your life. Let me pray for you. Father, today... We desperately need to know that we're forgiven for being getters and not givers. We also need great wisdom to know how to spend on your behalf and how to represent your fame and glory by how we do it. Father, I pray you give great hope for anyone who's struggling with debt, that there is freedom out of it, that you don't want them to stay there. I pray that you give hope for anyone who's struggling with having too much and wondering what to do with it, that there's wisdom that you want to give them. Lord, I pray for any of us who heard you say, this is what I want you to do right now, Lord, would you give us not only the grace to know we're forgiven for not having done it before, but also the grace to go ahead and do it with your help. So, Lord, we, we want to picture you in how we handle what you've given us. Thank you for it. It's a joy to have it. We ask that it would be more joyful by making us givers with it. In Jesus' name, amen.